Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm the founder of Alzheimer Speaks, which is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. And today we're going to um, talk with some global leaders that are really making a huge impact in how we look at dementia care and really making us all question, what are we doing and why are we doing what we're doing? And so I can't wait to introduce them. But before I do that, we always get new listeners. And so I, I just want to thank you all because your likes, your clicks, and your shares have made such a huge impact on the work that we do at Alzheimer Speaks. You see, when you share with your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Twitter tribe, whoever it might be out there, there are people in your sphere that are dealing with dementia that you probably don't even know are dealing with dementia, because this conversation isn't out in the open as much as it needs to be. And the more information we can share, the more comfortable people are going to feel that they're not alone and that there is hope and there is there is some um, support out there for them. So I really encourage you to continue to do that. And um, again, thank you so much for all that you've done to help raise our profile, to help build a community to support people dealing with dementia. And that's both families and professionals. In addition, I would encourage you to talk to me about sharing your story because everybody's voice is welcome here on Alzheimer Speaks. If you are dealing with symptoms or diagnosed, maybe you are caring for a loved one or have in the past, uh, maybe you're a professional, a singer, a songwriter, a movie director like we have today, a photographer like we have today. Everyone is welcome. If you are an advocate, a researcher, your child, we've had lots of kids on here doing really powerful things. Just know we want to hear from you and your experience matters. And um, you can reach out to me by just going to alzheimerspeaks.com. And there's a big contact button, and you can either give me a call or shoot me an email, and we'll go from there. So with no further ado, we are going to talk to two lovely ladies that I have had the pleasure of knowing for several years. Karine Monder is the founder and executive producer of Fire Films, and she's over in Melbourne, Australia. And she has a production company that creates health and life science films that are educational videos. She has a really cool knack for just simplifying really complex scientific ideas for people like me that are non-scientific and they just really want the basics and how do I apply this in, in my everyday life. She has spoken internationally on the effective use of video for health awareness and education and her films are just so powerful and you're going to be able to see um, and hear from her directly today. She has a special interest and expertise in the area of dementia and dementia care. 
mental health, gut and brain connection, and digital health. So welcome, Fred. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. Well, actually, I'm feeling a little under the weather, but <laughs> that's all right. Well, I appreciate you, A, getting up early, and then especially when you're not feeling well, taking the time, because we, we do have a big uh, time difference here. Yeah, it's very early in the morning, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to introduce your sidekick here, who is very renowned around the world as well, Kathy Greenblatt, who is a PhD, and she was a professor of sociology at Rutgers University from 1968 to 2001. And during that time, she did a lot of visiting appointments to lots of other universities, and she traveled frequently, which happens to be one of her passions. When she retired early, she began to pursue two long-term dreams. One was to live in France for several years, and two was to do serious photography about social issues. And since retirement, she has built two long-term photo projects, one focusing specifically on dementia care, and the other on end-of-life care. And in doing so, she has been able to continue to squeeze in her love for travel. So welcome, Kathy. How are you today? I'm, I'm great. It's just midday, so I'm not, I'm not just getting myself up like her in, and I haven't gotten to my point in the early afternoon where I start to get ready for a nap. <laughs> Well, good. Well, before I get into our line of questioning, uh, our audience is always curious about if you have been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends. And I'm going to throw that to Kathy first. Absolutely, yes. Um, and touched is, is not even the right word. I was, I was uh, hit with it when I was in college. And it, I didn't know what it was. I just knew that my grandfather was slipping away and I was losing him and I was totally confused by it. Everybody was, um, it, it caught us unaware and, the, and, and I frankly just never really learned effectively how to continue to relate to him. And my, my response to it, I, I say with some chagrin, was really to run away. And the same was true when my grandmother developed the same thing a few years later. I still didn't know much. I had gone to the library and tried to learn something. There was almost nothing written um, and nobody that I could go to to get the kind of information that you so wonderfully provide to everybody and that now is so much more readily available. And uh, I, I was chagrined at my own behavior, but, but that's just what it was. And when I started to see many years later, my mother beginning to develop some all too familiar signs very early on. I said, I need to learn something now. And by that time there were places to go. And that's what started me on, on this project. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. When you talked about not knowing, you know, what to do, that's, that's what I was into with my mom. You know, she lived with it for 30 years and we didn't even know what Alzheimer's was. We didn't know there was an Alzheimer's association and I just kept thinking, there's got to be more. <laughs> We're not the only people dealing with this. There wasn't. There wasn't at that time, Laurie. It wasn't you or me. I mean, although I thought it was me at first. Yeah. And so that's really why I created Alzheimer's Speaks, was to help connect people to resources so you don't feel so isolated. And you feel like you have choice and, and options and hope instead of just being so fear-based and, and feeling so alone. So... 
Um, thank you again for joining us. Corinne, how about you? Have, have you been touched personally by dementia? Yeah, my, my nana, she lived with dementia for about 20 years. And I think one of the things when you have a loved one who lives with dementia for so long is that you yourself, you get to go through um, an interesting journey over the years. And so for me, at first, it was really hard. And I was very young at the time. I was only in my early teens when she was diagnosed and we just lost my grandfather and that's how it became apparent. And we realized that he'd been covering it up for quite some time. And then, um, so at first I didn't know how to deal with it, but then slowly over the years as I became, you know, in my late teens and then in my twenties, I, I, um, I came to accept it and I was able to spend time with her and accept her for who she was. But this was all before I started making films about it. And I feel like sometimes I wonder how my journey with Nan would have been different if I had known what I know today, but we can't go back in time. And that was my journey with my Nan. And, um, you know, she had a good life and my mum cared for her very well and my auntie as well. But, yeah, knowing what I know now, I sometimes I wish I could go back and give her the knowledge that I know now so that she could have had an even uh, richer life with more purpose and, and feel more valued. Can I just add a, a note to what, what Corinne just said? Because um, when we first met was when my exhibit was traveling around Australia and, and she had called the Alzheimer's Society, um, the Alzheimer's Association, and asked if she could come the next night and film the opening of my exhibit. And it was a big gala event. And uh, they said they were sure that I would agree, which of course I did. And, that, and she told me the next day when she came back and we went through the exhibit and talked photo by photo that she was doing this because she wanted to enter a competition for, that was that needed a 15-minute film about some health question and that she wanted to do something to honor her grandmother, who was still alive at that time. And I was very touched by, by that. And that is the first film that brought us together and started our, our collaboration, which now has been over the last five years. May not have helped her grandmother in the way she wishes she did, but she's certainly done wonderful things since then to, to, to honor her. And I, I think all the rest of the things we've done were done with that as an underlying motive. It's really quite wonderful. Yeah, I, I think we all have that in common. You know, we've been touched by it and we, uh, we appreciate the, the gifts wrapped in it. And we also see what, we, what is needed to improve it and to help the next guy who's dealing with it. And I know everything I do. I mean, my mom's been gone four years, but I know she's, she's right here over my shoulder all the time, you know, with me on this journey. And, uh, you know, I always say her disease was the biggest gift I'll ever receive because it changed the way I looked at the world and the way I want others to look at the world as well. And I think the work that you two ladies are doing is really having an impact in changing people's views and perceptions of the, the world of dementia and just that whole you know respect and compassion um, is really brought to light that it doesn't have to be complicated but it can be quite beautiful if we 
we just kind of get out of our own ways <laughs> and allow it to allow it to continue. Kathy, you know, we had first met when you got a group together and you were starting what's called the Side by Side Project. Give us a brief description of that. Well, I haven't really thought about the larger project for a while, Laura, so I may stumble through this a little bit. Um, it was at a period of time that, that my now late husband was ill and I wasn't able to travel as much as I wanted, but I knew a number of people who I really admired and, and, uh, and thought, well, I'd love to work with each one of them. And so I thought, well, instead of traveling, I'm going to rent a house for a week and I'm going to invite all these people to come together. Some of them knew some of them, others didn't know anybody. Um, and, uh, and we did that, including that Corinne, I already knew Corinne and she came with, with Jimmy, her fiance, you know, um, she came with Jimmy and uh, another, another person came, two other people came from Australia and the other people were, were in the U.S. And we spent a wonderful week just brainstorming things that we might do together. The, the project never really took off the ground with all of us, um, but I think all of us learned a lot from one another then. But Corinne and I had arranged for doing uh, some filming. We had already, I guess we had already done the two first films, didn't we, Corinne? We had already done the two films in Australia, right? Um, so we had done the first two films, and we were and we did the third film, uh, Love Lives Here, um, in the week after that. And we have continued to be connected in many, many ways and to see each other. And we did a presentation together in Japan about two years ago. Um, so it's been very strong between us, and I still have contact with the other people, but not with anybody in the same way as, as with Corinne. So we've continued to use that name because the idea really began, you know, partly because of our the things that Corinne and I had done. So it's a perfect phrase, side by side, just walking graciously, you know, um, through that journey together. It's not one doing for the other. It's really about being truly relationship-based. The longer title, as I think about it now, was Side by Side, Love and Joy and Dementia Care, because what I had been doing up to that time and, and since then was focusing, literally and figuratively, on the positive things. That's it. Everybody knows about bad care. Um, it's all too common. But people don't know enough about what is high-quality care, whether it's in a home or in a, in a residential setting, and that, that I wasn't interested in adding to the, the photos of people being miserable or unhappy or poorly cared for. I wanted to show, in, in my sense, it was in my photography, and then once connected with, with Corinne in films, I wanted to show, here's what it should be, and use this, like many people had told me they had used my two books, and show it to other people and say, where can I find something like this, or how can I learn more about how to do this? from sources such as your program. You really get into the relationship-based care. I just I just love that. You, you guys get into the heart of everything. Um, Kathy, I'm going to throw this one to you. Um, I'm, I'm going to probably put more weight on you just because Corinne's not feeling so well today. But can you tell us how did you guys come about filming this last one, We Are Family? Um, how, how did you get inspired or even hear about the concept? This summer of 2017, I had been invited by Dawn Brooker to spend a week or 10 days photographing six projects that her postdoctoral students were doing, all of them being projects about music or art in dementia care. Dawn, by the way, is the director of a, a, an important program at the University of Worcester in the UK. Um, 
as you've said, I love traveling. I, I was eager to go back to Europe, so I accepted gratefully and uh, went there. And one of the students took me to a music session, in, for a two-and-a-half-hour music session at a place in Nottingham. We came in through a side door and went directly to the room that this was going to be held in, and, and there were only a couple of people there. The first one was a, a, a woman, um, a bit a bit heavy, um, wearing a pink T-shirt that said, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said something, and she had on a pink wig, um, and she was sort of bouncing around the room, joyous and talking to people, and they were coming in bit by bit. Some of them were clearly residents there. Other ones were family members. And this was a weekly or maybe more frequently than that music session, which had a man who I never knew who he was until much later who came and played the piano. And it went on for about two hours. It was a wonderful, warm environment with children showed up, family members showed up. Nothing was planned because I was going to be there. Um, And it just had a feel that was wonderful. When I was leaving, I had about five minutes to walk through a corridor to the office to thank somebody who had made the arrangement that I could come and photograph and had gotten the permissions. Um, and even the hallways, things just, just looked different than anything I had ever seen. And I have a pretty good nose for what's a special place. And I just said, there's something really importantly different about this place that I need to come back and see it again. Um, so that was my whole exposure, um, and I told Corinne about it and said, I'm going to go back there next summer, and she said, well, I'll try to figure out how to come. Suddenly, I had a ticket to London that would have allowed me to come earlier, and, and this was in November of 2017, and I told Corinne, I'm, I'm going to go back to that place and spend a couple of days and see see what, what's going on there, because I think there's something very special about it, and she said, I know you. If, if you think there's something great there, it's going to be something you're going to love. And then, you know, I should be there because we've always had, we've always filmed and photographed simultaneously. So we had the same people in photos and in, in video. And she said, I'm coming from Australia. I'll meet you there. You know, we worked it out. And, uh, and she came, we spent five days. David learned we were coming. And they, they had had films made, but they were always where they hired a film team to come in and suddenly here were these two independent individuals coming who they had met me only briefly. They had seen the other films and he said, I'm coming up to meet them. And he came and spent two days. And in that time, Corinne did this extraordinary interview with David. And uh, that's what underlies the film as, as anybody who's seen it will realize. And, and, and uh, from there, turned it to a, a, a film that we had many, many, many emails and phone calls and other things backwards and forwards. But really, Corinne found that story inside these many, many days of footage in a way that I think was extraordinary. And I love the film, and I think it's our best of, of the four. Yeah, it, it is spectacular. Can you tell us, um, and I'm going to throw this one to Corinne first, if you don't mind. Um, can you tell us what what did you see that was special in in this butterfly, you know, model home, and um, and how did it move you? Well, one of the things that I do when I make these films is that I try not to learn too much about the place that I'm going to film at, about the model of care and all of the clinical aspects and all of that. Because I want to be able to walk in and capture things 
just from an outsider's perspective so that then in that translates then into my films so that the the audience can feel that as well that they're just going in and they're discovering it with me and so going in I didn't I knew a little bit about the, the butterfly model um, and that their philosophy was feelings matter most, but I didn't, I deliberately, they sent me things and Kathy sent me things and I deliberately tried not to research too much about it. Um, and so then I was able to discover when I got there and what I saw was amazing. One of the things that um, I remember most was the way that they eat meals together. So we arrived on a Sunday, we went in, and one of the first things that I saw was that they were preparing Sunday lunch. And so everybody was coming together in the, the dining room um, and they were all sitting down. There were caregivers and um, family members and residents, but they don't actually call them that. We'll get to that in a minute. They have different names for these people. Um, but so that everybody understands, residents, family members, caregivers, they were all coming together and then everybody sat down and they say, Karim, would you like some lunch? Please join us and sit down. And I'm, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, this is cool. And then I noticed over the week that I was filming there that that just kept happening. happening. That was a common theme. So people would arrive for work um, to have breakfast with the, the residents um, so they actually call them family members rather than residents. So they're one big family and that's really where the name We Are Family comes from because they really are one big family. So the staff would come and um, and it's funny that there's one guy in the film and he says, you know, I first I'd get people up and then sometimes I'd find myself having five breakfasts because... I just like talking to people and he would just sit with them and keep eating. And, and so I think that in um, biological families, traditional families in, the, in, a, in a home, um, you, you often come together to eat together. And so they've really created that atmosphere in Land of Meads. And I thought that's something that really stuck with me, the way that they do that. Um, There's many more things, but that was probably the most memorable for me. Yeah, can I just add a, a note there? Um, I was struck by the same thing, but also the Landermeads has, I don't recall, I think close to 90 residents, uh, but they're in five different units, so that, that and, and those are dependent on where they are in the journey, in their, their dementia journey. And so there isn't one big dining room, as is common in many residential care communities. There are, there, there's dining in each unit. So it's a smaller group of maybe 15 residents, um, 15 to 20 residents at the most, um, that, that do eat together. So it's not like one big massive dining room that, that, that suddenly has people who are staff and, family, you know, and, the, and the residents at, at tables. Um, so it's really much, it is much more family-like of, you know, just sort of special meals each time. In watching the film, I, I, I picked that up. And, you know, when you were talking about them calling them family members, I love that. I have a program that I've done for years called Family by Choice. You know, that staff are, are just part of that family, your extended family. You know, we're all working on this together. And I, it, that really comes across in this film, how much they care. I mean, they truly know one another and they enjoy one another's company. And 
it's it's such a beautiful beautiful thing they they seem to be really authentic and if i remember in the film they talk about emotional intelligence training versus you know here in the states and i'm going to throw this back to you kathy you know they do you know person centered care and you have to have your ceus and it's everything is structured and it's uh, a lot of times very clinical based what do you see as the the difference um, in terms of what they do kathy and how they do it I've, I've never attended, although I've been interested in doing I've never attended the, one of their training programs, but they're very intensive. Um, I mean, what happens, Landermies well, is a good example, but people who run Landermies, Roz and Rob Heath, have had that, that care home since they were in their 20s. So they've been running it for, for more than 20 years, you know, 25 years. Um, and it's only four years ago that they had learned about the butterfly model. I'm not sure how they learned about it. And they brought David in for a consultation. He came in and what, what he does is that he, he goes to places that, that someone feels, someone who's in charge feels maybe we're not doing the best job we can, or they've seen something about another place that has followed that model. They do an assessment of what they spend a couple of days and do an assessment of what they think needs changing. And then they present that to the owners or whoever's in charge of decision-making and that then they decide whether they want to take dementia care matters on as a commitment for, for metamorphosis really of their place. And Roz and Rob decided they would do that. Um, and then DCM spends a, a year going back and forth, changing these. And one of the major things is an intensive training program that some staff don't want to do. Some staff, they you know look and say, no, we've seen what this is. We don't want to work that way. But many other people do participate in it. Some of them then decide to continue and others decide not. Um, but nobody, nobody continues into the new version of that place, in this case, Landermeads, without going through this very intensive and very emotionally involved training program where they need to explore their own experience of vulnerabilities and the things that, that people with dementia who they would be caring for um, are, are feeling, but for different reasons, um, so that their empathy really is there and their understanding of what it feels like and their responsiveness to it. Um, I've only seen a limited amount of the material, but it's certainly impressive in terms of the outcomes. And, uh, yeah, what is shown in the film, I just thought was brilliant, you know, when when they were talking about, you know, we, we don't talk about the residents, we talk about our own personal vulnerability. And I was just sat back and thought, oh my gosh, we should be teaching this in school. This is why we have so many mental health problems is people are stuffing all this stuff and they're, they're not apathetic and they're not compassionate and we're so judgmental. And you could just hear in their voices how they got, how somebody with dementia could be scared and why they would react the way they would. You know, because it got them thinking of when they're scared and what that feels like. And um, it, it's just, it's a, to me, it's just a really brilliant way to get at the core to, because I, I personally don't feel that we make change unless we feel it at a heart level. And I think David has gone in and grabbed that heart and said, 
you've got to feel it. Absolutely, he has, and, and for good reason. And he's really quite extraordinary. And again, I haven't participated or seen the training program. I've just seen a bit of outline for it, but it, it, it's long, it's intensive. Um, he's he's been doing work in Canada quite a bit lately, and uh, and I've seen the program that the the training program that he's doing now in Canada is is three two-day weekends. So it's about six days intensive um, spread out over a couple of months and, and, uh, and that, that helps people. But uh, I wanted to mention also, maybe this is the right place, that after we, we did the film and during the time we were working on the film, I guess, uh, Landermeads, but we had already filmed and that Landermeads won an award last year for the best care home in the UK from a quite prestigious organization. Um, we we showcased the film at this Brighton conference on the on the seventh of November and on the eighth, while Corinne and I were still there, there was a gala dinner by a, a different group than the group that was gathered for the for the conference at the three day conference. And Landermeets had been nominated again for the award of best care home in the UK. And we thought, well, that's great, but they're not going to give it to the same place two years in a row. And we were wrong. They won it again the day after the film went out and the day that we had put it up on YouTube. They won Best Care Home in the UK again. And we think they really warranted it. And it certainly reaffirmed our notion that we had found someplace that was really special. Oh, that's really neat. Corinne, anything that you want to add in, in terms of kind of that emotional intelligent piece of what you saw and felt when you were there? Yeah, I was really struck by the fact that they encourage people to bring their whole selves to work. So often when we go to work in any job, you have your home life and you have your work life and you put on this front and you turn up and you do your job and you're professional and you're almost a different person. The way that you speak, the language that you use, um, the way that you act, then you go home and you can be your real self. Whereas um, through this training, they really encourage you to just be yourself, just be real. They don't have uniforms. You just come as you are. And if you're having a bad day, um, through having gone through this um, training, often the other staff and even the family members, they recognise that. And I heard stories about how um, not only would other staff members go, oh, are you having a bad day? But often the family members, aka residents, would come up to the staff and say, are you okay? And they would show their concern as well because everybody really truly is real and a family and they can recognise when something's not quite right. And I thought that that's just so beautiful. And, and so I've really tried to carry that over into my own work that I do as well and just be more real with the people I work with instead of having two different lives. I love that too, because it's really, it's, it's building community through unity and it's saying none of us is perfect all the time. So let's stop faking it and let's yeah. just be authentic because we all have these range of emotions and life isn't always grand. And you know, over three quarters of our communication is nonverbal. And even if we put on our stepford wife smile, you know, pretending everything is okay, all the rest of our body language a lot of times isn't catching up. And, and actually, when you're working with people with dementia, that can be really confusing to them. You're, you know, you're really um, transmuting contradictions and they're not sure which way to go with it. So if we're just consistent and then allow them 
to lift you, you know, because you're lifting them. Being a valued member of the family as well. By, because we all like to help others and, and show that we care. And so by allowing them to do that, that's, that's a good thing. Well, like in one of your other films talked about allowing them to still be citizens, you know, still be involved, still be of value. And, and to me, um, this model really addresses that quite nicely. And everyone's included. I started to say this back a while ago, but it's, it's still appropriate now. The title of the film, uh, We Are Family, was something we decided the first day we kept hearing people talking about we're family. And then one of us said to the other, I no longer remember who it was, but it, it, it so resonated instantly. We said, that's going to be the title of the film. I mean, we just, you just felt it in everything immediately. And, uh, and, and it was, it was really their language that we picked up and said, all right, that's the title of the film long before we know what the content of the film would be. Wow. Speaking of the film, you know, you guys are an independent film. What does that really mean, Kathy? And who was involved with that? Well, Corinne has a company, as you've mentioned, and she'll elaborate on that she's been filming for many years. I've been photographing still photography for years. And I had gotten very interested a few years ago in in multimedia films, that is films that combine still photography and, and video footage. And I started to find ways to learn how to do video. I even bought an expensive camera and said, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. And then I realized, I know this woman who's so talented and she's in Australia, but we've got telephones and we've got computers and Wi-Fi, and we could stay in touch and maybe she'll work with me and not just have made the film about me, but make some films with me. And, uh, and why am I going to try it? I guess this was a few years ago. So in my mid seventies, why am I going to try to learn a new skill that I'll never get a fraction as good as she is? Let's see if she'll work with me. And we started to do that and it just clicked instantly. It clicked instantly. And for me, it's been just a, a, a real gift to work with Corinne. Um, but what it is, is that we, I have still photographs. I send her the ones that I think are the best Corinne films. And, um, and she really pretty much finds the storyline and what she's got and what she's seen from me. And, uh, and then we work back and forth. But really, the, the, the heavy, I've found the places and, and, uh, and arranged for us to be there. Um, and Corinne takes over once we've got the footage, and she really is the guiding light through work I could never begin to do. You know? So it's really a wonderful collaboration. Okay, great. Um, Corinne, how long did it take you to, to shoot? And, you know, when you're independent also, are you guys self-funded or do you get grants or how, how does that work? Because I'm sure people are interested in that as well. In terms of how long did it take, we spent um, about a week at Land Meets. And what I like to do is just go in and the first day I usually just hang out, meet people and then I use a very small camera so that people aren't noticing. When I'm at actually out there filming a um, documentary uh, or training video or something like that, I'll have lots of crew and big cameras and lights and it's very different to these films where I just have a very small camera. And so gradually I just try to integrate myself into their family, their way of life, and Kathy's the same as well. So by the end of it, we're just flies on the wall and they're talking to us and we're talking to them and they don't really notice that we're there filming. 
Um, so that's how we get the footage that we get. Um, and the other thing in terms of being independent is that we, we aren't um, guided by a marketing department. So it's not like when you are hired by a company and they pay you money and they say, these are our key messages and this is what you have to capture and this is what you have to tell and these are the shots that we want. It's not like that at all. Um, being independent, we have our own funding. This film we um, crowdfunded to, to cover the cost of this one. And um, uh, in the past other films, we've had grant money, um, all different sources. Um, but it's, it's not the company saying, you must say these messages. And that's really very, um, it gives you a lot of freedom to come in and, and really tell it how it is. And when you're not guided by these preconceived ideas about the key messages, it's, you can find amazing real stories. So I think that's what sets these films apart is that they are independent films by outsiders coming in, observing. I love that. And I, I just, you know, when you're talking about that sense of freedom, you know, I feel that in, in the work that I do because I don't have to go through the bureaucracy. I just, I just, it, it's just organic. It's just natural. And, you know, you coming in there, you know, with that small camera and, and Kathy as well, you feel that in the film. You, you just feel these shots are really intimate and close and everybody's comfortable. Nobody's on edge, you know, no one's performing. They're just living their life and you, you've captured that so nicely. And I wish more people would understand the power behind that type of, of filming and that type of storytelling because the authenticity comes through. You know, we, you know, you can feel that this isn't scripted. This is like real. And you just like, oh, look, at, I, I mean, you, you want to watch it more than once, you know, and you want to share it with people because it's just so powerful. And so, you know, I like you, you know, when I, when I do these, I don't like to really know the stories. People are like, well, I'll tell you my answers. And it's like, that's okay. I, I want to, I want to be excited. I want to hear it for the first time. I want to, you know, not think about it. I don't, I, you know, it, it's just, I, I want it to flow and be an honest conversation. And I think that's what you, you two put together so beautifully. Kathy, the, the still shots that you grab are just so heartfelt. And, and the way, you know, I, I can't imagine editing all of that footage and then like squeezing it down because you know, when I do my stuff, it's very basic. And I, I have a hard time cutting out anything because I, I love what everybody is saying and what everybody is doing. And, and yet you do such a beautiful job being so succinct, but so natural in terms of the flow. Um, Kathy, go ahead. Yeah, well, well, well I'm going to endorse what you've said, but, but, but the, the you in that, in that sense really belongs to Corinne. It really is her, her gift that I, I would, like you, have just a terrible time going through all that and narrowing it down. But I wanted to comment on the underlying thing that runs through the film is this one interview that Corinne did on the second day that David had come to find out who are these people who are coming to film there. Um, because we had never we had never met before before he came up there, you know. And 
we had spent the day together. We had spent he, he had spent the day before there, and we had gone to dinner the night before, so we knew him a bit better. And then Carmen arranged to do this interview in the garden, in one of the gardens at Landermead's, and I said, "I'm coming to watch it." So I was sitting way off to the side, and Corinne did. I don't remember how long the whole interview was, but um, it was it was quite a bit. And there was a moment in the raw footage which I I watched. I had a copy of it, and I must have watched it twenty times. It just was so heartwarming to me to listen to him and listen to to uh, to this. And Corinne caught him off guard with a number of questions, and he said in part of it, "But this is not the typical interview." And Corinne said, "Good. I hoped it wouldn't be." But there was a moment that he had finished saying something and I jumped up and I said, I'm sorry, I can't wait. And I rushed over and I gave him a big hug and a kiss and said, I, I can't wait till later to do this. I know you're going to cut it anyway. Um, but but it was a, such a, a wonderful and articulate and genuine interview um, that I'm, I'm thrilled that it really runs through that because that is David and that's the, the heart that's in this. It's not just the mind, it's the heart that's in it. And, uh, and he's, he's just an extraordinary human being. Yeah. Uh, you'll agree with the things that he thinks are important. You know, that's, that's a different question, but, but he believes them 150%, 200% and he, and he lives them and he works like a maniac. He is just, constantly doing something. Um, now it's that they have a big, a big uh, activity going on in Canada and he's coming back and forth across to Canada many times in the spring doing training programs, doing work with them because there was another film that came out shortly after ours did. There was an article, a big article in the, uh, the Toronto Star and it was accompanied by a film that reported from the Toronto Star when, when the decision was made to convert a place in the Toronto area, who said, could I, could I arrange to come anytime I want without announcing that I was coming over the course of the year that you're doing this transformation um, and just appearing and then write something at the end of the year? And they said, sure. We're, you know, they gave her free reign to come and go as she wanted, and she did that quite frequently. I don't remember exactly when the article came out. I remember David saying to me, it's going to be out in another two days. No, I think it was in the, in the summer, but, but I'm not really sure. Um, and it came out not as an article in the Toronto Star, but as a 31-page supplement oh. with this accompanying video. And it was extremely positive about a place which I, which I actually visited in October when I went up to Toronto to attend a conference that David had organized. Um, and, and they have had so much interest expressed in Canada since that came out. So, so there's a lot of back and forth going there and places, you know, working to be the next one to, to, to get their, their input. And that's partly why there's so many training programs going on. In the film, you do see people get emotional. You, and you've captured that so nicely. I mean, it's impossible not to feel that as a viewer. The joy, the vulnerability, the whatever it is. It's like, oh, I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it because it, it is just so powerful. I can't tell you how many friends have written to me and said, I, I watched your film, I loved it, and I cried for most of it. You know, <laughs> but they, were, they were tears of just being really moved by, by it. So. Yep, yep, tears of joy and hope. Again, I think, I think this is an area that has been motivated by fear for way too long. And so when you see those moments of hope, the possibility of 
living a better life for everybody involved. It's just, it's amazing. It really is amazing. Um, Corinne, I want to ask you, um, was there one thing that just like sticks out in your, your memory about making, you know, Landmeads uh, just a special place? Well, um, probably firstly, I always remember the meal times, but also the way that they um, have personalized um, support for each person. And I, I'm not even using the word care because they transcend that. It's not about caregivers giving care to people. It's really about all coming together and supporting each other. And they really look at the person and they look beyond um, uh, their so-called behaviours that other people might say. Um, and they say, well, you know, what are, if somebody's having um, a, a responsive behaviour, why might that be? Maybe it's the um, environment that they're in or, you know, and they, they, they actually brainstorm together what's, what's going on for this person and then they work out how can they best support this person. So, for example, um, somebody might be, um, there's a, a man, Alan, in the film, and they think, how can we best support Alan? And so they, they go, okay, well, Alan was a farmer, um, so then the staff decide that they're going to get up early in the morning and as part of their routine, not their routine, but Alan's routine, and go out early in the morning and feed the chickens because then that gives him a sense of purpose and that's something that he used to do in his life and he can feel like that's continued in his new life at Landermeets. Um, so there's lots of different stories like that. There was another story of a lady Betty in the film and she walks around a lot and so rather than saying Betty sit down and then giving her drugs so that she will just be sitting in the chair and, and um, easy to care for they actually have a dedicated caregiver who just walks with her and so when it's time to eat rather than saying Betty sit down neat they just have the caregiver walk with her and she just eats as she's walking around and I was watching this going so simple, so effective. Why don't we do these things? And just seeing the way that each person, the way that it was all tailored to their individual needs was amazing. It was, it was just so good. Well, to me, one of the things that, that um, David has done, you know, with his, his program, this butterfly model, is he has I think helped people see and we all know this but we don't walk it we all pretty much accept that you know bad energy spreads fast you know you can be in a meeting and everything's going fine or in a, in a family gathering and that one person walks in and then everyone's on edge but what what he has brought to the table was showing that joy can be spread, calmness can be spread just as easily if, if we go there, if we look for it. But I think so often we have been trained that aging and illness is bad and it's, this, is a, this is a horrible thing and we can't fix it and we just have to make it fit in our box. And so we argue with people and we try to make them do it our way even though we all know well, you know, you can't always win an argument or um, logic with a person with dementia, 
we still get into this right or wrong, you know, this corrective care model versus compassionate care model, where if we would have just bent, if we would have taken the detour, if we would have been more spontaneous, we all could have had a good time. Nobody would have wasted that draining energy that, that gets us all down, gets us all frustrated. And we could have had a much more pleasant day. And that that spreads out to everybody. Instead, I think we've been feeding, you know, a disaster um, on a lot of levels. Kathy? Oh, yes, I, I, I completely agree, Laurie. And, but also, I think that there's something really strong to be said from the, that example coming from the top. Um, and, and in this case, Roz and Rob heard about this butterfly model. They, I don't know how much they knew, but they called David in and decided to do this. And they, they had a successful business going. It's not that things were bad, but they realized that people were unhappy and they didn't know what to do to change that. And they wanted their residents to be happier and, and to be better. And so they, they, they decided to go with this and, and they made this change four years ago. Again, they've been running this place for at least 20 years. And that's a big decision to make. By the way, if you go back to my early statement about my first meeting there and the photograph that's, that's on YouTube as the introductory photograph was taken in that first time when I was at that music session, the man playing the piano, I had no idea who he was. I just assumed he was some local person they had hired to come in and play the piano. That was Rob Heath, one of the directors. Um, and he goes around all the time. He's playing the piano in different rooms. People come around and gather. The, the or One person comes. That one woman is, is so enthusiastic. I think if she hears a piano anywhere, she's running over knowing that it's Rob playing. And they really lead from the top. They, they do what they ask the staff to do. They're not remote. They're not sitting up in their offices doing paperwork. They're walking around. They're meeting with people. They're sitting down. They're taking a meal together. And that really, I think, makes a big difference. I would really tend to agree with you. And I think so many of the care communities have gotten so commercialized. And the people running them, you know, they, they might run through briefly, but they, they don't really know what's going on at, at a direct level. And um, many may not like me saying that, but I, I know in the U.S. I see it all the time and I hear it from staff. The other thing that I just want to mention is, you know, this is a model that could work for all organizations, not just dementia care, for us to be more authentic, to let people vent, to, to do things a little bit differently. You know, um, you're, you're seeing more companies, you know, uh, I think coming to that, like Google and Facebook, where the, the offices don't look like the normal offices anymore, and people are doing things remote, and they have games to play, and, you know, they, they're able to release tension and have fun and have more relationship, because it makes them want to be there longer. It makes them, it allows those creative juices to not just do the same old thing, but really be able to bring their own authentic self and I think it builds confidence in everybody because it, it makes people realize everybody has something to give. I remember, Lori, now that I'm listening to you, I remember something that I heard um, very early on in this process. I don't remember if it was before we filmed or, or after we filmed, but I had, I had been at Landermeets already and I learned that, um, I think, how did this go? That they had 
they had uh, certainly decided long before, I think they, they did this, that the staff would not wear uniforms, but they also decided they wouldn't wear badges and other things that, that so sometimes it was hard to know who was staff and, and who was not because they are family. Um, but then they heard that they realized that, well, they had abolished uniforms, but in a way they hadn't because at night all the residents were in pajamas or nightgowns and the staff that were on duty at night were in clothes, you know, street clothes or, you know, work clothes. And so what did they do? They decided that the staff who were working in the evening would wear pajamas. Um, and uh, that that would make the people that they, if they went into a room to see someone feel that it was more, yes, it's really nighttime and we should be going to sleep. And I just thought that was quite wonderful. And, uh, it's, it's brilliant at a lot of levels. It really is. Thought through just in, 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 in ways that go beyond what, what even you would imagine they, they would do to say, how do we really make it feel like this is our home? They also, they didn't have separate staff rooms or mugs for the staff, toilets for the staff. It was very much, this is the home and everybody can go wherever they want to go. Everybody eats together um, and they'll they'll come in and then they'll just pop their bag down, take their shoes off and or wear their slippers even. You know, it's just very home-like. It's just like the staff, they, they're just coming home. It's their second home. And I really thought that was really nice. It is. You know, one, of the, one of the experiences we had on the, uh, one of the, probably the second day that we were there of those five, uh, was in one of the units where people are at, 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 a, at a higher level of functioning than in some of the other units. They suddenly said, well, this is, you know, let's, let's do something else. And they said, who wants to go to the pub? And the next thing we knew, people were putting on jackets and we went along with them and we walked two blocks down to a, a local pub and people went in, sat down, ordered a, a beer or something else. And went on, we spent maybe an hour there. Corinne was filming. I was photographing a little bit. Um, and then it turned around and we all went back. I mean, I've never seen that at another place and I've been at a lot of places. Yeah, how natural. I mean, how normal. It wasn't a planned excursion. It wasn't, you know, something where, well, there's a bus and you know, people will get on and we'll decide who can go and who can't go. I mean, it was just a spontaneous decision. Nobody had to go. There were people who stayed back. Um, but but it was it was quite wonderful. Wow. I could talk to you guys all day long because I just adore the work that you do. It's just so powerful. For our audience, you can go to their website, sidebysidedementia.com, and you will be able to see all four um, of their of videos that they've done. Or actually, it's five now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Love, loss, and laughter. Um, finding the, the why. It takes community Love Lives Here, and We Are Family, which is their, their latest one. And I'm telling you, block out time because you're, you're going to binge on these, you know, because you're not going to want to just watch one of them. You will get something powerful out of each and every one of these films. And you'll be lifted, and you're going to want to share them with other people because it's just they're all feel-good things you know this isn't what it could be like this is what it is like out there and what you can bring into your own community and and really make a difference you know this this isn't pie in the sky stuff this stuff's working all of it and 
these two ladies have just this wonderful eye um, to help us all push progress forward and to believe and give hope and, and show us by, by true examples of, of really a lot of astonishing things that people are doing. And again, it all comes down because somebody believed it could be better and they, they applied their concept and they, you know, they weren't afraid of failing. They were more afraid of not making the world a better place. And I think, like I said, you've given us all such a great gift in the work that you're doing. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we also have uh, contact information listed on the radio show, on the blog, all over. You'll be able to um, email both Kathy um, or Corinne. And uh, if you're you know, looking for uh, someone to do films or photography, uh, these ladies, I'm sure, would love to love to chat with you because maybe you have a project that's uh, just needed uh, to, to be lifted and for others to see because we know there's more out there. Kathy, any last comments from you? And then I'll go to Corinne. No, I think we've covered a lot of ground. And uh, the only comment is to thank you again for inviting us to be on with you, Lori. It's always a pleasure. Corinne, any last comments from you? No, I think that you've summarized it. And again, I just wanted to thank you as well. Well, good. I, in closing, I just want to, again, thank you all for listening. And I hope that you will go ahead and share this interview with others. It's It's got just such... Um, a beautiful passion and authenticity and is really a, a great example of how how we can change our dementia care. In closing, I just uh, I want to give a shout out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation who takes a holistic approach um, when it comes to dementia. You can check them out at alzheimersprevention.org. And then Calendar Cards, who has a great memory system that helps people to stay independent a little bit longer. And Calendar and Cards both start with a K. They have also so kindly developed the Memory Cafe directory, uh, which you can access just by going to memorycafedirectory.com. Those are groups for people with dementia and their care partners. They are gatherings basically of um, like-minded people, a like-minded journey. Uh, and they create that sense of family as well. And then the Purple Table Reservations, they are doing wonderful things in terms of training restaurants to be more dementia-friendly. Um, and not only just dementia, but post-traumatic stress, autism, all different types of things where people don't have to feel different. Um, they are just accommodated in a very respectful and dignified fashion. And restaurants uh, can get more information at purpletables.org. They have a wonderful training program, and they also have an app for people to be able to find where the restaurants are here in the United States. Um, and we need more restaurants. This is a fairly new concept, so please help spread the word of that as well. Please go ahead and check us out at alzheimerspeaks.com. There you will find all of our platforms. So if you're looking on becoming more dementia friendly, I can help you out with that. Uh, you'll have our platform for not only the radio show here, but our blog, our YouTube channel, um, Twitter, Facebook, all of those types of things, various initiatives that we get involved with, with the Memory Cafe, the, the um, Purple Angel Awareness Program, and so, so many others. Bye now.
Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.